bring everyone together for a great time with the Nintendo Switch system. Get the whole family in on the fun with exciting games that everyone can enjoy, like Super Mario Bros. Wonder, Animal Crossing, New Horizons, and more. Nintendo Switch has three different play modes all in one system. Play in TV mode, tabletop mode, or handheld mode when you're on the go. Visit nintendo.com slash us slash switch to learn more. Games rated E for everyone. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. This is Star Talk Sports Edition. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist, and today we're going to take a deep dive into the waters of Ted Lasso. Ooh, Ted Lasso. Uh, if you haven't seen it on Apple Plus, it's a it's a TV series. But why it interests us in particular is because there's a lot of psychology, sort of neuroscience going on in that show. Ted Lasso is a coach, an American coach, coaching a, a UK football team, soccer team. And there's a lot of interpersonal dynamics that brings them to this program. And anytime we have neuroscientist issues, we bring in Heather Berlin. She'll come in actually in the third segment of this program. But in the meantime, let me first introduce my two co-hosts, Chuck Nice, Chuck. Hey, Neil. I got to tell you, a deep dive into the waters of Ted Lasso sounds very erotic. I like it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is that way to you, this is Chuck. Uh, and we also, we also, of course, have Gary O'Reilly. Gary. Hey, Neil. Always good to have you there. A, a former professional soccer player mm -hmm. in the UK. Yeah. So this is right, right down your alley here. Now, of course, uh, in order to make this work, it would be better if we had, like, folks from the show. So why not? <laughs> so we invited and they agreed to appear. Uh, to the co-creators of the show, Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt. Guys, welcome to Star Talk Sports Edition. Hello. Hi, nice to be here. Thanks for having us. All right, excellent, excellent. Jason, you and I met some years ago. I think we just crossed paths in a in a in a sound Absolutely. studio, but it was it was a fun a fun encounter. And I'm I'm I don't know if I can officially call you a friend of mine, yeah. but you're you're somebody I watch and follow, and it's always great to see you. Uh, doing very cool, interesting things, comedic and dramatic, and the like. Thank way. you. But so, thanks for being on the uh, on the Absolutely. show. So, so yeah. So the two of you guys created this sort of fictitious character, uh, playing for a fictitious Premier League football club, and it's the show is 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 globally famous on many levels. And so, what we want to know is uh, how is it that Ted Lasso, this character who is a is a he's a coach, 
but he's got he's just really really a nice guy and it's like no these people don't exist these should they exist should there be a law against them why and then somehow it works and it works convincingly not in some weird fantasy way and so so we're going to delve into the 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 how you guys turn Ted Lasso into a modern day superhero with a different portfolio of powers that we normally find the power in the of kindness <laughs> The power of kindness. So let me, I'll go ahead and lead off with, with Chuck and Gary because they've been thinking about this like uh, ever since we first floated the idea. Well, so, Gary, I, I'm going to let Gary off? go first, but I got to say this before we start. Before we start, I just got to get this out of the way, you know, for, for Brian and Jason. Um, uh, Brendan. This is a thank you, you from Brendan, from Brendan and Jason. I'm sorry, Brendan, yeah, not Brian. Yeah. Brendan, I'm sorry, Brendan. Brendan. Yeah. That was I'll slip. get Brian in here too. No, no, no. Yeah, get Brian. <laughs> get Brian's <laughs> the worst. Don't let Brian. Hey, Brian! No, 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 no. Oh, no, stay, 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 yeah, Brian. Stay. Yeah. All right. Brian. By the way, Brian's an okay, a-hole. So, I don't even know why I brought him yeah. up. Okay. <laughs> Brendan, Brendan's so much cooler. Yeah. But let me just say this: thank you to you guys from the rest of the world for making America give a damn about soccer. Because. Soccer. Seriously, blasphemy! Yeah, yeah. Without, without this show, without this show, man, seriously, it's like I've never seen more people get into soccer because of you two. Oh, All right, that's the mm, stealth yeah, mission. Exactly. There yeah. you go. <laughs> now they know the ball's inflated and not stuffed. There you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Baby steps. Baby steps. Baby steps. It Kindness is. is the Trojan horse. We're actually just trying to get soccer going out there. <laughs> Good. We'll get you, America. Exactly. Good. Grow the family. So, okay, chaps. Here we go. Um, Strength of community. Oh, chaps, listen Here to that. Go. Oh, he's no. what, what, I got, they're anglicized now. That's Ryan, take your chaps on. <laughs> <laughs> Put them on. You look great. Well, yeah. Okay, don't have me calling them blokes by the end. <laughs> no, you know, no, I don't no. know what I'll do. So, okay, so okay. humankind's success has been on community and cooperation, yet you put Ted in the All About Me, Rolls Royce, Us and Them, Ferrari world of Premier League football. And you repeatedly demonstrate how we find common ground. I mean, what on earth inspired you to do that? <laughs> Golly, I mean, I, I think, you know, Brendan and I both come from, um, you know, a, a background in improv, uh, improvisational comedy, which is, you know, as, as, as much of, you know, playing on a, on a you know, a, a team, you know, playing team sports as much as, you know, working in, in some environment, you know, a, a chosen family environment. And just that whole notion of, you know, yes, and is like, you, you know, sort of, um, you know, like, like almost like a prayer in improv, you know, where you accept an idea, you support the idea, and then you add to it. And so I think it was just rooted in the way that we all, we, we played together, specifically Brendan and I and our buddy Joe Kelly, who we did these commercials back in 2013 and 2014, where that's where the character initially started. And even the way we went about making those commercials or NBC Sports, you know, with with the Tottenham Hotspurs and and uh, etc. We didn't write a script, you know, and this isn't a, a thing that we invented. I mean, they do this all the time on like shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm, etc., where we just had like beats written out. But this was like a multi multi million dollar <laughs> like you know ad campaign, and we were just I wouldn't say we were winging it because there was absolute intention behind everything we were doing. We just didn't have a hard copy of the script that people were going through, and we just trusted each other. And we knew that if Brennan and I knew we were making Joe laugh and I was making Brennan and Joe laugh and Brennan was making Joe and I laugh, then you just, when you have that alchemy uh, of, a, of a little triangle, you just know that there's good stuff happening there. And so we just sort of followed 
that. And so it was, it was made in kindness with friends. And then that just like, it, it was sort of in the DNA of the thing. It, 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 we didn't know we were doing it, the very, especially the very first one that it was, that it was about. Because I would say the first commercial isn't about kindness. It wasn't until we got to the second one that really unlocked Ted's optimism and, and um, you know, hopefulness uh, and his, you know, curiosity and whatnot. Um, and then by the time, a couple of years after that, when we started talking about the TV show, it, we, we were really, as a country, like being inundated with a lot of negativity. I mean, little did we know how far, you know, the, the prime example of, of you know, uh, ignorance and arrogance hadn't quite come down the, you know, the, the escalator in Trump uh, Plaza yet, but it was, it was, there was a disturbance in the force. And so we wanted to make a show that didn't rely on sarcasm and cynicism. It, it, I know I personally didn't want to play a character that would have felt derivative to David Brent or Michael Scott, you know, uh, you know the, all these great characters that were, uh, you know, kicking butt on television. So it was really about what we didn't want to do. And it lent itself time and time again to, you know, kindness and, and to like empathy. Words that we, I don't think we were necessarily aware of, you know, I mean, aware of, yes, but, but weren't speaking about in, in the writer's room or even in, in, in my, my dining room <laughs> at my house in Brooklyn, Joe and Brent and I sort of beat out the idea for this, for this show. So it's really true. So I got to compliment you as a scientist for viewing your, your, your sort of comedic commercial spots as test. You're testing the idea. 100%. Right? 100%. <laughs> yeah, it's science. If you have an idea, you got to test it. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, can we the, get the a data sense, might uh, not. Can we get a sense of uh, the, the meeting where uh, this multi-million dollar project uh, fronted by NBC and they asked for the script review? I mean, <laughs> um, well, a, a version of it is... It's, so, it's like, hey, hey, Brendan, Jason, uh, you know, we, we gave you a few million dollars. Uh, uh, can we see oh, this? Uh, can we see this? They didn't, they didn't give that million dollars to us, my man. That was entirely for the purposes of the NBC's <laughs> networks and reach outs. But, um, but we didn't know about this meeting, but this meeting kind of happened. But we are at the Tottenham Hotspur Training Center. We are in our RV, me and Joe and Jason and Jeff, uh, Jason's manager. We're playing Catan. And, Literally uh, playing Settlers of Catan. Mumford and Sons videos. And we, remember, we, we watched a ton of uh, Coming to America, like just clips from Coming to America, just like yeah. on YouTube. We were just like, we were passing time. Meanwhile, outside this van, go ahead, Brennan. You could tell. Yeah, it was like between setups. Like we'd done one bit, we're going to do the next bit. And we told them like, oh yeah, we'll do like Ted, like uh, in uh, like playing FIFA. So set that up, we'll be there. <laughs> and they don't work that way. <laughs> so outside yeah. this, you know, RV of fun, Dozens of English crew members are just like, eh, eh, what's happening? <laughs> Sounds about right for the English. Yeah. Crew members, but also NBC exec sports executives, you know, like people right. being like, what, like, dude, what is going on? What are they doing? And we're just in there, just, you know, I'll trade you wood for, for, you know, for sheep, you know, on, on Sellers of Catan, just, just like children, you know, and again, but, but, but not being arrogant about it, you know, like just, just, we didn't know any better. It was, it was our ignorance towards the process, you know, and, 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 and their ignorance for hiring us. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's sort of rewind it back to the, the, the psychology. Yeah. What expertise did you draw from in psychology to, and we, for those of us who have watched series one and two, you persistently infuse the plot lines with this material do do you actually retain a mental health professional 
on the show? On the, on the show, no. But I think a great number of our writing staff do personally. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know. well, I'm going to go with we're, 95%. Yeah. We're all in therapy. Everybody's in therapy. Yeah. We don't need Everybody's a mental health therapy. professional. Exactly, but. yeah. <laughs> you, you know what? I mean, a lot of it is rooted in, in again, tenets of improvisation, which which have, you know, um, you know, very macro view versions of, of, you know, and different sayings, you know, follow the follower, you know, like, you know, yes, and the, those notions. But then, then there was, you know, I found the writings and the, the, the philosophy of John Wooden, the, the great UCLA college basketball coach um, yeah. to be profound. And that, and his, his, his philosophies were things that I used to teach when I coached improv teams and, and taught improv. Um, and his pyramid of success was something that that I thought really broke down nicely and take care of themselves, but then also support the people with them, which is really, you know, an idea, I, ideal headspace to be in when, when you know, making stuff up on the fly, you know, yeah. much less life, you know, driving on the highway, you know, anything where you're dealing with other people. Well, the, the two of you as with comedic chops, um, and I think Jason... Didn't you have a stint on Saturday Night Live? I, I did for I did. I was there briefly. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. For I hear they like to do improv sometimes. <laughs> every now and then. Every now and then. Every yeah. now and then, I, I every think day. they like to do improv. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so guys, can you explain? Wait, 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 wait. Let me finish this. Yeah. Wait. So so uh, so so Brennan, Jason, good comedians have to completely understand their audience, what they're thinking, how they're going to emote, and it seems to me. That could not to not to trivialize any profession, but that seems to me could is half of what therapy is, knowing what the person is thinking, because if you don't, you're just shooting in the dark, and the and the way you've been you you've scripted yourselves and the way you interact, there's always a little bit of insight into what's going on in the person's head, and so you're telling us that that comes to you from your comedic um, backgrounds. I'd say, and like I. I'm not sure that we know what our audience is thinking so much as we give our audience a lot of credit. You know, we, we just expect that our audience is, is, is right. And um, as, as I have a saying that I've heard in improv, the audience doesn't get what they want. The audience wants what they get. Um, so if we just oh. assume that they're bright and they'll go along with us, if we're doing, if we're doing our best, then they're, they're more likely to go along with us. So that's all we can worry about there. Thanks. By the way, Brendan, that's my same philosophy on Christmas for my children, just to let you know. <laughs> Smart. Smart. Yeah. You want yeah. what you get! Hey, Brian! <laughs> Christmas is canceled! Mariah Carey, we have a rewrite on your hit song, on your Christmas anthem. I, I, yeah. the, the, my, my favorite quote that's exactly in line with that, that was one that Del Close said, who's like, you know, an improv guru who, who I got to, you know, study with uh, in the late 90s in Chicago was like, if you treat your audiences like poets and geniuses, they will rise to the occasion. And so, so it really is less Ooh, thinking like about, it's, it's less thinking about what, are they going to get this? Are they going to do that? We, 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 in every step of the process of creating the show, we have been cognizant and, and intentional about leaving space for people to lean into it, whether it be, the, you know, Brandon, Joe and I, the fellow writers, our fellow co-creator, Bill Lawrence, let him lean into it because he's done thousands of hours of television. He, he knows the form so well. And so we want our actors to lean into it, to not just 
we're not, they're not action figures that we're puppeteering. And like, you have to say the words just like this, you know, we have every actor lean in, you know, uh, because we're Americans and, and, you know, the, the anglicized things like, Oh, we don't, we don't say it that way. We say we like, we had the word ma'am because, you know, Ted said ma'am in the pilot so much. And the very first time, uh, Jeremy Swift, who played Higgins called, uh, Rebecca Welton, ma'am, it sounded like mom. And I was like, oh, that's a different show. That's a different show. Yeah. You can't have that. Uh, that's, and, and, we, and we do that with the prop department, the, the hair, makeup people. Everybody, we leave space and we try to do that for the audience too, where I think some of the things you might be picking up, Neil, you know, not to talk about how the sausage is made too much, but for my money, we're really in the editing process. We want to people to, we want people to see the actors say the lines and for people to receive the line, then show the actor receiving that line too, because I feel that's how we watch things at home. Like we're all listening to each other now. And that's the, that for me is the 50% that, uh, you know, sometimes when you have to, you know, on network television, you have to get to the commercial break and you only have like 20 minutes to tell this three act story. We had the luxury of not having to follow that, that paradigm because of being on streaming and being on Apple TV plus and them accommodating right. our, you know, the, the style we were trying to do where it wasn't, you know, boom, boom, boom. We wanted to live, leave space and grace for people to lean in and, you know, hear and receive the information in, in time with the people. We're going to take our first break in a couple of minutes, but let me just add to that. If you're giving me room to participate in the emotions of what you've written, it is working because every episode that I've watched, I, there's some moment when I well up, there's some tender moment I get a little teary, emotionally teary, and that wouldn't happen unless you 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 invited me into what's going on, and so I, I'm and if you like, weren't willing to be invited, <laughs> kicking and screaming, I don't want to cry. Stop it! <laughs> right, yeah. Gary, you got one last question before we hit the break? Yeah. Um, okay. So, nice guys finish last. Right, we've we've seen teams that win nasty, dirty, bend the rules, break the rules, whatever you can get away with. Maybe if you don't like the Yankees, it's the '77 and the '78 Yankees who won stuff and weren't liked because of it. Yet you end up microdosing us. You give us this kind of feel-good virus during a pandemic. I mean, what about that old adage? Nice guys finish last. Was it an intention up front to kind of stand it on its head? Yes, we. I mean. One hundred percent. I mean, I, I referenced like Trump earlier, and I didn't mean to be, you know, too cheeky about it. But, but I, I have found that the worst version of a human man is, is is the cocktail of someone that is, you know, ignorant but arrogant. You know what I mean? And you can see that played comedically all the time. You know, someone uses the word verisimilitude, and a character's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, no, I know what that word means. Yeah, yeah, verisimilitude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah." And you, you clearly that they don't. We wanted Ted to be like, "Hey, what's that word mean? Wait, what verisimil? What?" You know, like like to be curious, to be ignorant, which nothing wrong with that. But then to ask the question, you know, be like, what what's 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 going on there? What's going on there? And in the writers' room, we were conscious about not, you know, we were still very cynical and sarcastic in the writers' room. We just we just and those are sometimes, you know, comedically um, our first cho choices. And we would go to our second or third choice. We would try to make the other choice of of turning it on its head, being like, okay, let's not. Let's not be, let's not have someone come in and go, you know, nice hat, you know, have them come in and be like, be like, like, literally, that's a great hat. Where'd you get that? Like, can I try it on? Like, you know, you, you know, and just yes, ending, just supporting whatever was going on. You know? So may I please right now ask, what, what does versimilitude mean? <laughs> <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) We will tell Chuck over the break what verisimilitude means. When we come back from the break, Gary, I want to know if when you played, were you a nice player or a mean player? We're going to find out when we come back. Star Talk Sports Edition. And we're we're, uh, unpacking Ted Lasso and all that is and what it means to us going forward as not only as a show, but as civilization itself when we return. Sleep, grocery shopping, themselves, just a few things working moms seldom have time for. And during tax season, you can add taxes to their list. So for all you working moms, make the easy switch to H&R Block and have an expert make easy work of your taxes. H&R Block guarantees your taxes are 100% accurate and your max refund or your money back. Plus, with their no surprise guarantee, you'll always know the price of your tax prep before you begin. You can even have an H&R Block tax pro do your taxes in a block office or online from the comfort of your own home. Can your current tax guy promise all that? When you're buried under life's to-dos, let the experts at H&R Block stay on top of your taxes with a return that's right on the money and your biggest refund possible. Because tax season after tax season, it's better with Block. Make an appointment at hrblock.com. All tax situations are different. Not everyone gets a refund. Limitations apply. Descriptions of benefits and details at hrblock.com slash guarantees. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition. We're unpacking the psychological complexities of the hit TV series on Apple Plus, Ted Lasso. And in our third segment, we're going to bring on our favorite uh, neuroscientist, 
and and you know who she is. But right now we're in the middle of our conversation with Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt, who are co-creators and writers and actors in that series. And it contrasts really nasty people with really friendly, happy people. And I just want to know from our, my co-host here, Gary mm -hmm. O'Reilly. Mm -hmm. Gary, when you played soccer, were you one of the mean people or were you one of the nice people? Mm. Naughty but nice. Oh, that's mean, if I ever yeah. heard it. Oh, yeah. so oh, you, 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 okay. There are moments when you have to be certain things, moments when you have to be other things. Generally, you would not want to hurt or be mean or nasty, but sometimes you have to deal with it. I mean, there were certain rules when I came through as a professional player in the early stages if their tackle came in higher, you came in higher. This just, you know, the rules were survive out there. Be, this is, no one's going to give you an easy passage here. You're going to have to put up and, and deal with it. So you, in certain circumstances, you learn to be, but generally I was the nicer variety, but on occasion I could be they're not so nice. I don't know about that, Gary. You you, you sound kind of sketchy. Does my nose grow? <laughs> yeah, man. Because <laughs> no. let, let me just say this. There's a picture of Gary running down the pitch, and he's wearing a pair of short shorts, and he looks so handsome and good. Like, I was attracted to you. I was looking at him. And I know any man who is wearing short shorts and looking that confident is kind of a dick, okay? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. This is why I don't need enemies, because I have these kinds of <laughs> So let me let me let me uh, uh, broaden this this platform here. There's the the goodness in Ted Lasso. There's the highly varied personality profiles of the players. Uh, some go through evolution, others just dip in and out of being mean and kind. Um, but in the end of the day, we're talking about leadership, leadership. And is there, uh, let me just t tee up the ball with that. And um, you guys, did, where did this notion of leadership come from mixed in with this whole psychological profiling of nice people interacting with mean people? Some of it's intrinsic just to the notion of being a coach. Um, and Jason has much more experience in athletic coaches than I do. I've, you know, I've experienced with acting teachers and acting coaches who, who had an impact. But if we're making a show about a coach, you know, we want that coach to have have an impact. And and Ted's brand of leadership is how he goes about it, which, as Jason says, is you know partially drawn through John Wooden and partially the uh, the improv coaches that we've had. I mean, it was really about you know mentoring in general, and then you could even go you know zoom out even further and say that it's about you know like parenthood or fatherhood, you know specifically with the show. But but it I had always felt that a good mentor was someone that saw something in you that your baggage disallowed you to see in yourself. You know, so, so. Oh, that's you know, beautiful. And that is Jason, that's, that's just, Jason, that's beautiful. Okay. But, but I mean, I've benefited from that. I've had, you know, you know, I had a, a teacher, Sally Shipley in high school, who was like, hey, you, you could do like this radio TV stuff, like this, this, this um, class we had in, in, um, in high school where that we made like a, like a weekly television show you know like a news show but still you, you could do silly stuff like man on the street or or you know tfa when i showed up at, at snl um you know as a writer was like she was like if you can improvise you can write you know you know lauren hire me you know i mean i think and i think that happens with a good you know a creative partner a, a good romantic partner coaches mentors a good teammate you know someone that can say why are you being so hard on yourself you know like just, you know why aren't you seeing 
for yourself what I see for you. And you that's in that's you can pair up any two people on the show. That's what you know Rebecca's doing for Keely. That's what you know Ted is doing for for everyone. That's what you know uh, Keely does for Roy. You know, it, it like it, it 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 happens all over the place, and you know we we have the opportunity to be you know to take life and create life while we're here living life, and why not try to use that you know as best as you can? And think that there's plenty there's plenty for everyone to there's plenty of pie for everyone to have a bite, um, and that yeah it, it was just it was it was rooted in that and and you know we also wanted to mess around with the assumptions of of toxic you know masculinity even though we weren't necessarily aware of that term but you know you, you put it in as as you know Gary was saying like the 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 Ferrari you know ego driven world uh, of of professional sports or just athletics in general you know the preconception is that they're all a bunch of turkeys and like we wanted to show that yeah there are some but. Some of those people just didn't realize that they can't be, you know, a better version of themselves, and and yeah, uh, yeah they just want to be encouraged. So no. Several, several of the characters, nearly all of the characters, at some point, you drag them through the thistles. You you put you put a little torture twist on them, uh, and on some of the conditions in the, that you show, they're treatable with medication, you know, such as anxiety, such as the panic attacks, mm-hmm. but instead, the show uses therapies rather than medication. Um, what's the role of therapy relative to medications? Have you did you think through that sort of situation of using therapy, maybe medication in the show? How did you come to that conclusion? We did have an early. Oh, go ahead, Brian. You got. Okay. Well, I was just going to say we did have an early, you know, storyline about the Roy Kent character who was, you know, in in the uh, the autumn of his career that maybe that was going to lend itself to to uh, self-medicating, you know, with pain pills, you know, and, and him trying, I'm going to play one more season if I just keep taking these, you know, because who wouldn't want to be paid a bunch of dough to play a game for a living? And, and, and also, psychologically, who am I if I'm not doing this? I've done this since I was a little boy. Who am I, you know, a- after, if I am not Roy Kent? I mean, that's what, you know, in, in the ninth, episode 109, he has that whole conversation with Keeley about exactly that as he's being moved from a starter to, to uh, you know, a support player off the bench. And we did toy with the idea, and it's, we just found ourselves time and time again wanting to for people to own their stuff, especially especially like men, men that have been deified, men that have been have been uh, paid well, and yet they all still have the same stuff, you know. And we've had the same stuff for thousands of years, <laughs> you know. It's like so we wanted to keep it at a mythological level again to allow people you know, ourselves, you know, as writers and actors, but then everyone in the audience to, to like lean in and maybe see versions of themselves in these different characters. So, you know, you can maybe take the journey one episode with Keeley character and then, you know, then find yourself relating more to Ted or Rebecca's, you know, arc in a, in a different episode. But we just wanted people to care about these people so that the smallest arc like mattered. You know, uh, it doesn't have to be saving the world. It could be just saving, saving face, you know, or, or saving their own heart in, in, in that moment. And, and I think that to do it without drugs, you know, to try to do it w- within oneself is what the whole second season is about. And the first season is really about, you know, realizing that you can lean on others. Um, the, the first season. So like the, the you know, human element and, and the, you know, the, the healing powers of one another versus, uh, you know, very, you know, like, medication is super helpful to you know super but it's not as um probably it's not as fun to write 
you know, opens pill, good point. Unless the medication is abused, <laughs> right? If if it's just taken, then no, nobody has any problems. You got nothing to write about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess. Right. yeah, and we're about ninety five percent of our writing staff has a psychologist. I think we're a solid sixty percent has a psychiatrist yeah. too. Yeah. So we're not taking some stand uh -huh. here by any means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's right. that's the funny thing about you know when you're taking psychiatric uh, um, medication is that when you take it. It just works, and nobody knows you're taking it. It's actually kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. You got no story. I will say that, that you know, a, a book that came out right as we were writing the pilot was How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, who who's talking about the use of, you know, um, psilocybin and LSD and, and, uh, and MDMA uh, as a way to well, treat PTSD, to treat depression, <laughs> to, to uh, treat anxiety. And, and so... Ted was, and we, we spoke about it a lot, you know, me, Brennan, Joe, and uh, Bill, about Ted being the personification of mushrooms. You know, that it, there's an egolessness that he carries that when someone presents themselves to him and they're angry, like, he knows that it's not about them. Like, like it's, it, he's just a mirror for, for that right then. You know, it's like, it's like uh, you know, you never know what, what battle someone's dealing with, you know, inside their own, you know, head, heart, and soul. And so we just wanted to, Ted was an opportunity to personify that. And, and he's almost like a weeble wobble. If you remember those toys growing up, you know, like, you know, they get knocked down, they get right back up. And it feels funny because in today's day and age, especially again, you know, over these last six years, it was about fighting back, punch back, right. you know, yeah. hit back harder. Like that became language right. that our- Stand your ground. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Yeah, uh, yeah. You just made me think of something that is um, just a great representation of that in actual sports. I love watching the NFL when they put the microphones on the guys mm -hmm. and you see them on the field, yeah. right? And you would think that they're out there just like, I'm going to kill you. I'll rip your nuts off. <laughs> right? <laughs> but when you listen to them, often they're talking to their opponent and they're just, they're, they don't help each other up. They used to do that, but they don't now. Right. Co coaches stop that. But they look at each other and they go, all right, buddy. Hey, man. That was, okay. Hey, good, good, good one, man. All right, man. All right. Yeah. I see what you did. I see what you did there. And they're, we'll meet again. Right. We'll see each other next time. Like, they're not like, oh, yeah. I'm going to kill you. It really is a positive experience and exchange. You know, it's, it's pretty wild. Chuck, yeah, I'm going to kill you. you is more, uh, more Gary's vibe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chuck, I'll tell you now. When you're mic'd up, you don't say none of that other stuff. When that oh, mic's that? on someone else, <laughs> oh, you I, just am going to I am going <laughs> to pull totally your head off. I am going to stick it in a bag, yeah. and I'm taking it home with yeah. you. Yeah. So you're saying they're acting. Oh, you're telling me they're acting. Oh, by the way. Oh, reminder, I'm wearing a microphone today. Hello, <laughs> opponent. Hello. This has been a formidable contest. I'm wearing a wire. <laughs> oh, man. So, so, so Brendan, I, I got another question here. I was very happy the entire first season watching Ted Lasso be coach therapist, basically. All right? He was coach and part-time therapist dealing with this conflagration of personalities. But then you bring in an actual therapist. And I thought to myself... What's Coach Lasso going to do? <laughs> Does he have any job left now? And then we find out that he could benefit from some therapy. So uh, what, was, what was going on in the, in the decision to bring on an actual professional therapist, uh, and a sports therapist even, uh, not just a random person off, off the, out of the catalog? Yeah, um, I think a, a few things went into it. Um, so I don't want to speak for Jason here too much, because I, but one thing that was 
big in my mind was that, you know, in season one, we show Ted having panic attacks. And, um, and that's, uh, that's a, that's a big thing. And I personally kind of felt like it would be irresponsible of us to just kind of let that have floated out there, like some kind of plot point for a couple of episodes, as opposed to being something that indicated there was a larger thing to address. So then it became how to address it. And yeah, there's, there's just a lot of teams right now, even, even in England with all of its stigmas about mental health, even in England, plenty of teams now have a, uh, have a sports therapist on, on the, on the side. Oh, it's a so regular thing. A okay, it's thing. become part mm-hmm. of the Yeah, deal. more and more. Yeah, people are people are much more aware of it's not just your body, it's the space between your ears that's really quite vital. What what I'm interested in because you Wait, 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 Gary, I have brains between my ears, not space. <laughs> that's okay, because you be have <laughs> oh, astrophysics snap. going on. Oh, I, I have, snap. Those brains are thinking space. about space. Ah. I have more space in here than probably I should really need. <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. But, you know, that's what it is. So in, in, in a dressing room, a locker room in a Premier League team, group dynamic is not everything, but it's so vital. You've got your individual components because there's always a star. Then you need a couple of water carriers. Then you need someone solid and dependable. And you've got all of this going on. And if you do not manage that whilst managing all of the other individual component parts, it falls apart quickly. That was my experience in clubs that I played with. So how did you going into that look to see where you could mine your storylines? I mean, a lot of them were, were Trojan horsing our own personal philosophies and stories. You know, one of the nice things about writing a show about, you know, in this tone, which, you know, about, not about, but deals with, you know, and set in the realm of kindness and empathy is that our writer's room was very, was, everybody was, an, was open-hearted. And, and shared their experiences of dealing, with, you know, within their own family, you know, within within other, you know, uh, work situations, you know, uh, possibly if people played, you know, sports or, or did anything ensemble based. And you have people from different walks of life of, of how similar they are and how much they, things overlap. And you're kind of like, oh, we call that something different. But yeah, we got that. We do that. And that was one of the neat things about the show finally coming out was then we had people like for us to have, Brent and I, to have the opportunity to you know, do a Brene Brown's podcast and all of her you know acumen and and skill set in 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 explaining like vulnerability and the vocabulary she used to explain the show back to us in a very like not erudite way but like with vocabulary that we never would have thought of in a million years it felt very similar to taking improv classes where it's like oh you're, that's what it's called when I play like this you know as a kid okay so I'm I'm heightening. I just thought I was just making it funnier <laughs> you know it's like no that's called height you know you, it's given it gives you vocabulary for it in a, in a way that we, you know, we just really leaned on each other and relied on each other and, and, and felt vulnerable enough in the writer's room to, to share that. And then once again, when you get it to the actors, then, then they put their own experiences into it. So it was really about just taking our own stuff and just, you know, hiding it in these people. <laughs> and that strikes me that, that that's a big part of what therapy is, is giving the vocabulary to describe stuff, you know, starting from, we're trying to do this with kids now, like you're having a feeling right now that we have to try to be able to Describe for you and you know maybe where a lot of people get into trouble is that they're just going through stuff that they can't even describe and the more we can let people describe what they're going through maybe it'll be easier for them to deal with it you know it's funny i'm i'm listening to all of you right now that you keep this these words keep coming up during this conversation vulnerability and support and like you know teammates and you know, therapists. And it just occurred to me that you cannot give or receive support 
without being vulnerable. Because if you're giving support, you have to trust, you have to be vulnerable and open to trust that person to help them. And if you're receiving it, you have to be that much more vulnerable and open to receive it. So it's uh, it's actually a pretty brilliant construct for a sports um, you know, uh, arena. I, I, I just love it. It's the thing is, Chuck, if you, if you travel back to my time as a player, you dealt with it on your own. Right. There, there was no safety net. There wasn't a therapist. Right. You didn't want to talk to people around you because you would be weak. And right. the whole thing about being a professional athlete in an ultra-competitive environment is you are strong. And mm. show weakness. And then everybody just... You know, you, you generally don't play 100% fit. In fact, you'd never play 100% fit. Right. You're always carrying some kind of injury physically. Right. Now, right. adding to the component of mental problems, the things can really, and you talk about how players go out of form and cannot deliver. Right. There's, a, there's a lot of things going on. Now, as, as we understand, there are therapists around to identify certain issues rather than have this person fall apart in front of you. Hey, let me ask you this then, all of you. All of you, let me ask you this, because we're all... We're, we're running short on time. Are we running short on time? Uh, all right. Chuck, so if you make it make it, I'm going to make it real quick. Yeah, make it quick. Okay, because okay. it looks like we're all from the same generation of suck it up, as far as I can tell. All right. So how do you feel about these athletes now who basically say, look, my mental health is more important than, um, you know, achieving the win? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I got to support you got to support it. I, I, totally. I think, you know, and, and different strokes for different folks, but I, I'm not going it, to, it's hard. It's really hard. And breeze. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we've got to close out this segment yeah. and actually say goodbye to Jason and Brandon. But I just want to uh, just comment that in a very tight format of this program, you managed to successfully go in and out of and explore every permutation of human dynamics and relationships. And, and only after I saw, watched it did I say, wow, we just talked about boyfriend, girlfriend, mother, father, son, daughter, uh, children, uh, old people, young people, death, you know, birth, right? It's all of that's in there. It's like, how did they do that? How did they do that? <laughs> well, you know, and, 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 and you made me care about them. And you're making me cry every episode. So stop it. No. Just tell no. him that. No, no, no. You stop have my permission to carry on. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Keep on carrying. All right. Carrying uh, on. Brennan, uh, keep on carrying. Brennan and Jason. Jason, first, it's great to see you again, dude. And Brennan, it was uh, great to meet you uh, for the first time here. And good luck with more seasons of the show. You clearly teed up another season in that last episode of season two. And so we're all waiting for that to drop. Uh, so uh, it's great. Just best to you. Keep keep up with the comedy. Uh, we, on Star Talk, we're big fans of comedy here. And we know that comedians hold the, the spirit, energy, and the soul of what makes civilization work. And so uh, all of life is not just drama. You have to smile every now and then. And you guys know that that formula and recipe. And you're inventing new formulas as you go along. So, dudes, uh, thanks for being on Star Talk. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, everybody. All right. When we come back, we're going to Heather, Heather Berlin. Uh, she's our neuroscientist uh, in residence. And she's going to unpack this episode as it has unfolded thus far on Star Talk Sports Edition.
We're back, Star Talk Sports Edition. We were unpacking the psychological dimensions of Ted Lasso, the Apple Plus TV hit series that's all about sort of an American coach in the UK coaching soccer and he didn't know anything about soccer. And so it becomes a story about managing egos and how to be kind and the power of kindness, kindness as a superpower even. And we had Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt, the two co-creators on, and we learned a lot. But we're going to learn some more because we're going to our neuroscientist at large, Heather Berlin. Heather, welcome back to Star Talk for the hundredth time. Yay! Thanks for being a friend of what we do. Ah, uh, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah. So Gary, you know, took the lead on this because our boy here did, played some actual soccer in the UK. Mm -hmm. So Gary, why don't you lead off here with what questions you have for Heather? Okay. Um, welcome, Heather, to this particular edition of Star Talk Sports Edition. Um, please explain to us, and particularly me, what reactions go off in the brain when it's involved in an act of kindness? Because you've got the giver and the receiver. And can you just explain what is going on so as I can understand a little bit better. And is it better to give than it is to receive? <laughs> well, in, a, in, a, in an interesting way, you know, giving or being kind is actually in some ways a selfish act because you're really ultimately, you're helping yourself mm -hmm. as well. Um, and we can see that in all sorts of changes in terms of neurochemistry. Um, being kind can decrease your cortisol levels and stress hormones. Um, which is good for the brain. It releases oxytocin, which is this very um, pleasurable bonding hormone that's also released when you're in love. It's released when a mother is breastfeeding her child, which promotes bonding. It's released during sex. Uh, it releases dopamine, which is a pleasure sort of uh, neurotransmitter in the brain, activates the pleasure centers of the brain. You get increases in uh, serotonin, which helps regulate your mood. So, you know, across the board, it actually is really not only good for your physical health, but also for your psychological health. Um, so, so in many ways, it is much better to give than it is to receive, although receiving feels nice. And that is also pleasurable. But there's something in particular in the act of giving, in the act of kindness, that, that's almost um, better. So if, it's it, it's I, if it's actually a selfish act, if it's actually a selfish act, then I'm just going to start giving stuff to myself. Because then I'm getting <laughs> double the benefits. I'm the giver <laughs> and the <benefit>. receiver. <sighs> <sighs> but you know how you can't tickle yourself, right? Because you're expecting it. Right? right? Only you can only get tickled by others. So there's it's not the same, just technically speaking, giving to yourself is not the same because you're expecting it and it changes the way your brain responds to it, just like you can't tickle yourself. Wow. So oh, look at you. That's that's your idea. Wow. So now I'm gonna learn to tickle myself. Yeah. So <laughs> so Heather, okay, so we as as we've been discussing with Jason and Brendan, you know, Ted was microdosing us with kindness as an audience. So what as an audience were we feeling yes. and how, because this just thing just sort of crept up on us, been like a stealthy little series and got us. So what's going on when you witness these acts of kindness over and over and over again? Well, I, I think, you know, just in terms of the ethos of what was happening in society at the time, mm. you know, being in the midst of a pandemic, having lots of sort of um, 
narcissistic leaders um, at the helm. This was sort of a, um, you know, showing us a glimpse again, reminding us of the other side of humanity. You know, it was cathartic, I think, for people. It also, he was in a role model, not just for his teammates, but for all of us, you know, handing out these words of wisdom, you know, these gems, these coping mechanisms, um, uh, showing us that you can succeed in helping people and having more of a cohesive environment rather than being against one another. So I think all of those things were, were very needed and are very needed at the, at not only when the show comes out, but you know, forevermore. Um, but the idea of this selflessness too, of, you know, connecting in other people, it's not about you. It's about the other person and empathy and compassion and just reminding us that these are also human traits in addition to the, you know, more negative ones that we've been seeing a lot um, recently. Heather, I have a quote from William Shakespeare, and it's from The Merchant of Venice. And let's just call it the quality of mercy. And just listen to this. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. If That's only exactly that guy knew how said. to write, that yeah. would have been really good. That was the first That's draft kind of, of Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Merchant of Venice where wow. there's conflict and there's, or do you have mercy? Or are you going to, uh, this is where the, 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 the pound of flesh comes from. Mm. Yeah, the pound of flesh as a retribution for not fulfilling a contract. And do you, do you have mercy? On that. So, but anyhow, so, so Heather, it looks like your profession was sort of deeply understood, at least at some level, by Shakespeare 400 years ago. Yeah, we're all just following his lead, obviously. Yeah, so what do we need um, you for? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you how it works so, at the normal he level. Heather, um, is, there, is there a point okay. where positivity becomes toxic and it can't be sustained within an individual, within a group? And then sometimes you just have to get angry to get something going in the right direction. I like that question. Wow. Yeah, yeah, who decided that happy people is the goal? Who, why is, should that be the objective here? Maybe if they're all angry with each other, that would boil their blood and they'd go out and perform even better. Who, who, who are we to say that happy is good? There's an element in the show where they, where, you know, Roy says we need to get Jamie a little bit aggressive at one point because he needs some of Jamie that. Jamie, the player. Before yeah. well in mm -hmm. season two, they get into that. Yes, there is too much. There can be toxic sort of positivity. You know, when positivity is overused or is, as a defense mechanism, which also happens to Ted, um, where you don't actually ever deal with the negative emotions and you're just using this positivity to, to sort of as a shield. Um, that that's that can be maladaptive. We evolved negative emotions for a reason, right? We it would be maladaptive to not have any of them, right? Pain helps keep us from you know like bumping into things and knocking our arm off, right? We need pain um, to protect us. We need anxiety, or else we'd be doing really risky things without any forethought, right? So these these feelings are important, and we need to. It, it, there was this film Inside Out, this Pixar film, where you know they just wanted happiness to win. They were looking at all the emotions, and at the end, realizing, no, you really need both. In order to have happiness, you need to have sadness. So um, anything that is um, gone to the extreme 
can tend to be maladaptive. Um, and, but, but happiness in moderation, I think, is a good thing. Heather, I love that. I love that. I, I love that, Heather. So can you experience uh, positive and negative emotions sympathetically, like watching a television show, to make you more positive mm. or negative? So in, in other words, can a television show elicit these right. feelings Causing you to yourself? be more of that or less of that. Yeah, there are these knock-on effects. So, you know, for example, um, one study had people, um, while they were in the scanner looking at brain activation, viewing neutral scenes and then viewing aggressive um, scenarios. And when they were just simply watching like a film about aggression, it decreased activation in their prefrontal cortex, which is their sort of um, impulse control part of the brain. And therefore, you know, if they then were to go outside right after watching the show, they might have a tendency to be have less impulse control. Um, but the same thing with eliciting emotions of joy as well. So your brain, you know, we have these mirror neurons, which are kind of like in some ways, something are involved in empathy. So we call them mirror Mirror neurons. That's what you call them. Mirror neurons. Mm -hmm. Mirror mm -hmm. neurons. Yes, mirror neurons, which which really um, mimic other people's movements. Um, and some people think they're about how you learn things. Or it's very much involved in modeling behavior and learning. And, and some link it to empathy as well. But in some ways, you're actually enacting that experience. Um, there's an empathy network in your brain that gets activated. There's this really interesting study with olfaction where they collected stressful sweat from people about to jump out of an airplane or take a stressful exam and neutral sweat when people were working at the gym. And then they gave them to other people to smell and they couldn't consciously tell the difference. But when they were in the scanner, when they gave them the stress sweat, it activated their empathy network of the brain. So there are these signals coming into us, whether it's olfaction or things that we're viewing that can actually activate these empathy networks and cause us to go on and be kinder. Um, our behavior is affected by all sorts of things because, you know, in the brain, it doesn't know what's real and what's not. It's just, you know, ones and zeros. It's just information, bits of information. So whether you're really engaged in a happy situation or you're just watching it on TV, the brain can experience it um, in a very similar way. Can I trick my brain? Because sometimes you get yourself up for a performance, for your, your event, your game, and then you have to bring yourself down. Can, I mean, hear stories of Michael Jordan used to create something just so as he could, that would help him energize. And it was a fictitious thing. He'd said someone had said something and it would raise his game. What are we doing in that? Are we able to kind of dial up, dial down with Will? I think, yes, um, you know, insofar as you have certain neural uh, sort of networks that are wired up in your brain in a certain way, and you have certain structures that have developed in a certain way. So you have certain limitations, right? But you can dial yourself up to your highest end of, let's say, performance with certain limits. Even with, you know, they looked at people who did yeah. these heroic acts, like in the moment, um, and they found that they often, and they interviewed them after, and they find that the people who did these heroic acts actually have larger amygdalae, um, these sort of emotional center of the brain, um, than other people who didn't uh, have do these heroic acts. So they actually have structural differences in their brain. And they found that when they responded, they didn't think about it. It was automatic. So there are these automatic responses that we have. So you can train yourself, yes, to an extent, but there are other things that are just really innate. And they also found in these heroic people that they had... Um, more responsive amygdalae when they saw people in distress. And with sociopaths, for example, they don't get that amygdala reaction. 
they can see someone, you know, a picture of someone being murdered or babies chopped up or horrible things, and they don't get that amygdala response. So I think with anything, you can train your brain to a certain point, but if you just don't have that innate sort of structure um, or neural uh, network or wiring, let's call it, um, it can be much more difficult. Is there such a thing as an amygdala hijack? Hijacking the amygdala? Mm, yeah. Yeah. So what, what takes place in that scenario? Is it the opposite to what you've just described? You mean somebody, something taking over your emotional responses? Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, if something... That's called marriage. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what that is. When you have triggers, you know, when people, when you have a particular trigger, and I think with Ted Lasso too, you know, um, there are certain things that would trigger these panic attacks, right? And that in a way is, is hijacking his amygdala. It's tapping into your, what we call the sympathetic nervous system and putting it in high gear, whereas other people can have the same experience for them. It might not do anything to them. Oh. But if you have a history and certain trauma then you'll have these triggers that can just sort of um, flip the switch and put you into this high, like, fight-or-flight response. Cool. Could you comment on some of the drugs that got mentioned? So psilocybin was one of them, I think. Yeah, what's the right? deal? Yeah. Mm. I, I and where can I get idea. it? Where can I get it? <laughs> I love the idea of... Stop I got a guy. I got Stop a guy. Now, I got a guy on the corner. We know you have... We hold now, Heather. We know you hold now. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll never tell. Uh, no, so... I love the idea of, you know, how he mentioned that Ted was like the personification of mushrooms. And so we're using in psychiatry now, psilocybin, um, the ingredient in psychedelic mushrooms are being used to help treat depression and anxiety. And we're trying to understand what's happening in the brain and why does it have such a profound effect? And one of the things is that your ego in some ways dissolves. So this boundary between self and other that we all normally have kinds to disappear. Or in some people say your, your ego actually expands so that everyone is a part of it. But this idea of then being one with everyone or everything and feeling their pain makes you less judgmental, makes you sort of a more empathetic, understanding where they're coming from and therefore be better positioned to be able to help them because you're not coming at it with what's in it for me or with your own biases. It's true openness. And I love that idea, this metaphor with, with Ted being like uh, on a permanent kind of mushroom trip without the psychedelic effect. But the idea is that he's in some ways egoless in the way he, you know, people are insulting him all the time, whatever. He's just not taking it personally. He understands where they're coming from and, and doesn't react in ways like that are aggressive or defensive. And I think that's just such a beautiful metaphor. But that's one of the ways that, you know, from a science perspective, one of the reasons why we think mushrooms are so helpful to help transform, permanently transform someone's perspective and give them an insight, just like the overview effect of astronauts. You know, when they see space, Earth from space, they suddenly have this profound shift in their consciousness and we're all in it together. And it's the same thing that can happen with if you are permanently selfless and feel this connection with everyone else. So what about leadership? Is that something you're, you're born with or you develop it? Can you tell who's a leader by scanning their brain? And what drug do you need for that? <laughs> there <No>. are... <laughs> There are innate, there are some personality differences that would make someone be a better leader or a more natural leader. I wouldn't say that there's one thing in the brain that you can sort of discern, okay, that like put them in category, this would be a good leader, this wouldn't, but a certain constellation of personality types and also depending on what kind of leadership you're talking about, you know? So, so you know, a leader could be a kindergarten teacher, you know, who's helping children in this way and, and being a role model, or it could be the CEO of, you know, 
a, a, a financial institution. And there are going to be different essential qualities that are needed to lead in those in those particular areas. But the idea that there's sometimes when there's a sort of stressor, a natural leader comes and rises up to meet the occasion. Um, and usually it's somebody that has a lot of um, either has had experience with trauma in the past and knows how to cope when things get really difficult and stressful. Um, or it's somebody who's just very, very grounded and has a very clear vision of what needs to be done. And like where others can be sort of uncertain and there's some chaos, somebody might rise up that says, OK, I can show you the way I have a very clear picture of what's happening. But all of those things, it's, a, it's really a mishmash of a lot of different personality traits. That's hard to say, you know, this is the one thing that makes you a good leader. So some people lead because they have a power and a force within them that people respond to. But other people lead because people just want to follow them. Right. There is no sort of aggression there. there it's just wow, that's an interesting, I'm going to follow that person. And so my sense is that the Ted Lasso character is is not one of these, I'm at the top and you're not, follow me because you must. It's, I'm going to say some things and you're going to realize it's really cool and it's going to work. And he lets them take ownership of their own revelations. And that seems to me to be a, a rather potent pathway. So you know what's interesting about that, Neil? There is a coaching term in football called guided discovery. Where, oh. where you take a player and you show them something technical and you kind of get to a certain point and leave the rest for them to discover for themselves. So it, it, it is knowing all along where they're gonna where that heads. Yeah, you know you you know you want them to be at this point, you take them so far, and then when they get there, they are so better for the fact that they feel they've completed the thing themselves without you showing everything yes. to them and saying, this is what you've got to do, 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 do. You take them so far, then the rest, and it empowers them to feel that I, they I like that continue. idea. So they, take, they take ownership of their own talent at that point. There's a theory about this sort of um, attaining high status, which would be sort of being a leader that people look up to and want to follow. And there's two different pathways to get there. And one is the dominance path, you know, that's like the Stalin mm. and... You know, we can name a whole list of people um, in using coercion and, and all sorts of things to get power. And other is the prestige path, they call it. But that is just having being good at something, having an internal quality. Like with Ted, he didn't rule in a strong way. He had wisdom. And after a while, people saw, oh, maybe this guy knows something. Maybe he's onto something. You know, when Rebecca's having problems with her mother, she wants him to come to lunch because maybe he'll have some insights. And so sometimes we we relate to, we see something special in a person and say, oh, that's someone I can learn from. And then they start to gain status and prestige and sort of, you know, rise up in the hierarchy. So you can either take power or you can earn it by just being really good at something that people admire. Well, we got to bring this to a close. So Heather, always good to have your insights and perspectives. Thanks for being such a friend of Star Talk. Here. Thank you. And, and Gary, great hearing you from the horse's mouth there. You're welcome, my uh, friend. It's, it, you know, soccer is still a little bit of a mystery to we Americans. And You're getting there. To hear You're your, getting there. Your, your, it's slow. We're, 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 we're Maybe inching Maybe quicker our way, than you think. You're getting there quicker than mm -hmm. you think, I tell you. <laughs> the, the, the women's team is stellar, so. Uh, excellent, excellent. Chuck, always good to have you, man. Always a pleasure. This has been Star Talk Sports Edition, unpacking Ted Lasso. Thanks to my guests, and I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. As always, bidding you to keep looking up. Come on.